A report surfaced over the weekend that the Orioles are willing to listen on 30-30 outfielder Cedric Mullins. Really? You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two against the Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. I'm TJ, that's Zach. Hey, buddy. Uh, you know, and that was reported over the weekend by John Heyman. I thought two things. One, you know, the antennas go up because that's a name that we've talked about before many times in this show. You've written about. I mean, it's. It's one of the most perfect fits for Cleveland if they're actually going to make this big trade to consolidate prospects and go get a younger, controllable outfielder. But I also reflected on all of the conversations that we've had about Jose Ramirez every time his name floats out onto the rumor mill. It's like, uh, yeah, well, they're willing to listen because they listen on everybody, and that's how front offices work. And you never know what's out there unless somebody mentions whispers puts that rumbling out there that maybe this team is willing to at least engage in some of that conversation. Yeah, do you think the Orioles would take a Cyber Monday deal for Cedric Mullins? I'm going to think that's a no. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I, we always say this. Anytime there's any report that surfaces over the offseason, and, and there are certainly ones that are valid and objective but you just it's always beneficial to think about who benefits from this news being out there why did this leak and what does it mean moving forward i just you know it's when you hear a team is listening on someone that doesn't mean that team is shopping that player or wants to to draw i mean they they want to drum up interest teams want interest on all their players that means you have valuable players but yeah, I think bef- I think there were teams calling about Mullins long before that report surfaced, and I think there will be teams calling about Mullins for a long time after. And I think Cleveland they they make sense for all of these guys, these controllable outfielders, um, and they've been trying to make a play for these guys since midseason. So it'll be interesting to see if anything actually happens. I'd say the odds are strongly against that, but. You never know because it only all it takes is one offer that wows the other team, and it's hard to know. We don't really know what Baltimore's front office thinks of Cleveland's prospects. So the responsible thing to do, you're saying, is to just leave it at that and move on and discuss all of these other moves, which we will. But the irresponsible, more fun thing to do would be to dream about it and talk about it on this show and discuss what would it take and why it was the the most perfect trade that they could make and just go quite crazy with it and send everybody into a frenzy. I think that's the more fun option. That's the one that I like. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> I think there are three golden geese, um, white whales, whatever you want to call them, right? Mullins, Brian Reynolds, and Cattell Marte. Those are like the three controllable, reasonably young all-star players who are on really crappy rebuilding teams that 
yeah, that team has the leverage because they don't need to trade that player now. Mullins and Reynolds have four years of team control. Marte has three. Um, so there's no reason why those teams couldn't trade that player in a year. But again, you have the leverage. But if you get an offer, because you have all that leverage, if you get an offer you love, I don't think there's any. I mean, by the time the Orioles are ready to contend, Cedric Mullins, who's 27 now, is going to be how old? You know, same thing with the Pirates and Brian Reynolds. I mean, that guy's going to be in his 30s and is going to be on his last year of team control by the time the Pirates sniff a winning record. So, yeah, I think it makes sense to certainly listen if you're those teams and it makes sense to entertain offers. And if you get one that you think, if you think, man, we're never going to get a better offer than this in six months or in a year or in 18 months, then sure, pull the trigger. But it's going to be on those teams like, Cleveland to make that sort of offer um, that forces the issue. But of those three, what what who's your preference? How would you rank those three in terms of who fits best in Cleveland or who Cleveland should pursue? I'm so caught off guard by this. I haven't been thinking about this at all for the past six weeks. Um, so it's very <laughs> clearly as I consult my notes, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, Cedric Mullins, and Cattell Marte. I think in that order. Do you disagree? No, I I think Reynolds is first for me. Um, that fourth year of control is pretty big. The thing with Marte is the defensive versatility is really interesting because this team doesn't have a second baseman. And I know they've got four billion middle infielders, but it does maybe give you maybe more of a reason to trade like Ahmed Rosario if you got him. Because if you really needed to play Cattell Marte at second, you could. Um, I just, the, the one thing about Mullins is I think he's very good. I don't think you can have a 30, 30 season and it'd be a fluke, but there's no track record, right? I mean, he had not played very much before this past season and the results were not overly impressive. I know he made some changes, but he stopped switch hitting. Um, and it's hard to dispute what he did this season, but it's, I'd feel a little more comfortable. Like Marte has a great track record. Reynolds had another season where he was really good. So I feel a little more confident in their futures. And I, I still think Mark or Mullins is really good. I just think you'd be more comfortable if if he had more of a track record. And maybe you use that to your advantage in trade mm. talks and say, look, we like this guy, but we only know him as an all-star and a, a really good player for, for one year. Yeah, but you know perhaps better than anyone that it tries to play these mind games when making trades. That's not going to work in a situation where there's 15 other right. teams lined up to go get that guy. So they'll just say, okay, well, we appreciate that you have those reservations, but guess what? 14 other teams do not. And we're going to go talk to them. And if nobody meets our asking price, then we'll just gasp, hold on to the really good player. So I don't think that enters into the conversation, but I think it's a fair point that you raise. So let's ask, the only projection I have in front of me right now is from Steamer over at Fangraphs. So let's ask Steamer who they believe in the most beginning in 2022. If you had to guess, who do you think has the highest WRC plus according to Steamer in 2022, that projection system? I will say Reynolds. You are correct, sir. That's a 123 WRC plus the projection for next year. Who do you think is second? 
I'm going to say Marte. You are also correct. Once again, that's a 120 WRC plus the projection there. Finally, it is Mullins. And you're, you're right because there is less of a track record. The WRC plus for steamer in the projection system, which doesn't take into account. You you make an adjustment at the plate that makes you better. Well, that's not going to be reflected in the projections. They don't know. They just go based on past performance, your age, and just weigh all that together and see what it spits out. And in this case, it's a 109, which is solid, especially if you have a, a good defender, depending on where they're playing. But, but that's the other thing. Not as good as the other two, just because the track record isn't there as as strong as the other two. The one thing to keep in mind is all three of these guys can play center field. Well, they wouldn't be doing that in Cleveland. So if you're thinking about this in terms of like Pittsburgh, right? Don't you think another team might be willing to fork over more to have him play center just because it's a more valuable position? Yeah, yeah, but I also, I don't know if Cleveland would look at it just like, well, we don't think it's as important because he would be playing a corner. I think they would think here's a really good offensive player that sure is even better in left field, maybe, let's say. And so it makes our outfield defense tremendous. And we're not just talking about a good defender just for the sake of having a good defender. Now you have two plus plus defensive outfielders. And maybe you don't have to worry as much about right field. So to them, it still holds some value. And the other thing is, just because you have Miles Straw, we both like Miles Straw, doesn't mean that they couldn't trade for a center fielder and do something else with Miles Straw. It's not like you know they, they're that heavily tied to him that they can't make other decisions that make the roster better. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think the bottom line here is any of these guys are a good fit. That doesn't. You can make it work when you have an all-star player. Um, and guys who are young and who are going to be here for a few years. So that that's that's when you're looking at trade targets. And we talked about it last week. Like the way this roster is composed, they are positioned to make a trade of some sort. I think these are the guys you're looking at first, knowing that it's going to be really, really difficult to yeah. execute anything. And then you move on to guys who maybe have less control, who are maybe coming off of a not great season, who are just maybe a a tier below in terms of talent and output. Um, there are a lot of candidates out there, though. I, I think you're we, we can get into this more. We're seeing this flurry of activity in free agency now because guys want some peace of mind, I think, during the lockout and teams maybe want to make some moves while they can. I think you're going to see a lot of trades whenever the lockout ends. I think you're going to see a ton of trades because teams are going to have however many weeks come up with idea after idea and different iterations of things and different contingency plans. And you know, you're know, you not usually afforded this frozen period where you can't actually make moves, but you get you can buy some time to... Think about what moves you might want to make. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. But the other, the downside there is that <laughs> you hear this this said in the movie Moneyball. But when you get the answer you want, you make the deal, and you hang up. You don't you don't revisit. You don't say we'll come back to this once you've agreed. You've agreed, and so in let's say having conversations during a lockout, 
and you say like, oh yeah, well yeah, this we would we would want to make this trade right now. The unfortunate part is, and maybe it's fortunate if you're the, on the end of the the bad side of the trade, is that yeah things don't happen. So I'm thinking more internally. I'm just thinking in terms of because yes, like you've been game planning for this off season throughout the year, and you know who might be available in a trade, and you've already contacted teams to find out what they're seeking, but get the benefit of an extra, I don't know, month or two to just evaluate where you're at, what seems realistic. You know, normally it's, we've talked about this before, but like there is no deadline during an off season. Things are so fluid and you said it, it's like once you get that deal, it's done. And maybe you were thinking, man, we'd really love to go trade for Jesse Winker. And you're, you're game planning and you're like, ah, but we need to see a couple things fall into place first. And then the Reds get an offer they can't refuse and they trade Jesse Winker somewhere. And you're just sitting there like, well, shit, we wanted to do that. Now you can, you have time and you can assess, all right, what is it going to be? What is it going to cost to get Jesse Winker? And the second that lockout ends, we place that call to the Reds or, or we, you know, I don't know what the rules are for talking about this sort of thing during a lockout, but but you can just be in better position to go out and be aggressive and make the deal you want to make, knowing everybody's going to be in the same boat trying to get things done because you're going to be on a shorter timeline for getting your roster set for spring training. So I just think it's it's interesting because literally nothing can happen during the lockout. So it it I think it evens the playing field a little bit, but also just allows teams to you know just set everything up. So that the second the commissioner snaps his fingers, you're ready to act. He's going to throw on the uh, infinity gauntlet. All right. And just make that happen. All right. So I don't know what that is. <laughs> your wife has watched the Avengers movie. She hasn't once man- mentioned Thanos. She just watched Shang-Chi. Yeah, it's a good movie. I was a little surprised at how good it was. What well, what did you think of the uh, three three seconds you saw while you were scrolling through your phone? I wasn't even in the same room. <laughs> Gosh. Marriage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you mentioned the artificial deadline. It's interesting because isn't it fitting that even the things that baseball get gets right is a byproduct of doing things wrong? And I think <laughs> of this like <laughs> there have been many people screaming about an off season deadline of some sort. You know, and I've it's not that I didn't see where people were coming from on that. It's just I always I'm always hesitant to believe things are just going to be as easy as we'll just slap a deadline on it and there'll be a flurry of activity and it's just going to work exactly how you think it should. But seeing this this artificial deadline created by the the expiring CBA and and free agents being very eager to sign deals and teams very willing to get that done before that that timer runs out and it creates this Sunday of this activity that was so fun to follow for this however long it was six hour period at night and and we're still expecting potentially some more big moves by the end of today and now the unfortunate part is it happens on an nfl sunday but that's that's not how you would draw it up in a normal off season where this is actually the plan but i think it gives a lot of credence to anyone that was demanding some sort of off season deadline to get these things done and I, I don't know what the the precise details of, of something like that would look like. But wow, was last night a lot of fun. And <laughs> it momentarily had Twitter in a frenzy. 
you know, following what's happening. And I know for Cleveland fans, you're like, okay, well, there's Sandy Leon, they got him. So I guess we're not officially out in the cold. We did make a move, but I think fans of baseball in general just enjoying what was happening yesterday. And and if an offseason deadline gets that accomplished on a random Wednesday in the offseason when nothing else is happening, I am 100% all for it. So while I was a little bit on the fence before, I absolutely would love some sort of offseason deadline. That was, that was That was fun. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you'd need to still figure out a way to keep baseball relevant and in people's minds post deadline. I don't know what that would entail, but can trades um, still happen, but free agency can't. Yeah. Yeah. There's something there. I just, I think the key is you want people thinking about the sport, right? It's as simple as that when it comes to marketing and trying to reach more people, but the, the way the offseason is set up, and especially in recent years where the activity has just been not existent until January or February, there's something about the fact that a move can happen at any time. And because any time equals November, December, January, I mean, you're talking four or five months. It's just not, I think most people are wired to say, well, just wake me up when something interesting happens. Whereas when you have this deadline, it's like, okay, in basketball, July 1st, free agency starts at midnight. I know like to be tuned, to be geared up for that. Um, and you know, it's exciting. And so people are thinking about the NBA. You have this date planted in your mind and it keeps that sport relevant in the summer. And I think I think it can help with baseball too. just everyone knowing December 1st in the days leading up to that. Hey, yeah. there's reason to actually think about baseball. I mean, there's so much backwards about like the schedule. Like no one gives a shit about the awards because they happen in mid-November. I mean, these, these players that are winning MVP haven't stepped on a field in two months. So it's just like, again, and, and who even knew that? I mean, does the casual fan know that? Oh, the MVP is going to be announced on MLB Network at 6.47 p.m. Eastern on a Thursday night. Like, there are so many better ways to do things. I know the league was trying to get, like, a big awards show like the NFL has done in recent years. Um, and that just didn't materialize. And then the pandemic hit. And, um, but, like, things like that that are good ideas that just, again, it's you're drawing in an audience. You're saying, pay attention to this sport at this time and you will get something you're looking for as opposed to just this fluid, super extensive off season where something happens once in a while and you never know when it's going to be. And because of that, it just kind of takes the juice out of it. I was trying to think of other award ceremonies that I would even care about. Of course, Heisman, everyone is going to pay attention to that every year, but NFL, I, I don't watch any sort of awards, and I'm not the audience there, so I don't – sometimes it's it's tough for me to have this pass any sort of smell test because I just – I recognize I'm the baseball freak, the fanatic that is only really paying attention to that outside of some very 
moderate interest in in the other sports at times. So am I watching the NBA MVP ceremony? No. Do I know when that's given away? No, I don't. Do other does the more casual fan know that? Or yeah, I think someone so. that likes all three sports on an equal footing know when that is? But the NFL also holds it, don't they hold it like the week before the Super Bowl? Yeah, well, I always I always thought it's weird because it happens so late. The postseason is so far in your rear view, but also, you know, a lot a lot of baseballs happen between the end of the regular season and where you're at then. And then you have like weird I remember remember when Corey Kluber won the Cy Young, but wasn't that any when he just got beat up by which which season was that? Was that twenty which, which what was his second Cy Young? I always forget which seventeen. Year. So yeah, he got Didi Gregorius. Right. So yeah, that's right. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. So he just got beat up in the playoffs against the Yankees, and then you get this weird thing where he's winning the Cy. Mm-hmm. Even with Bieber, I mean, he lost his playoff game against the Yankees, and it's like coming off of a really weird ending when you have a bad taste in your mouth, and then that person wins the award. It. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I Robbie a... Ray won the Cy Young award, and he could have signed with a new team before he actually found out <laughs> yeah. he won the Cy Young award. Yeah. Yeah. There is way too, way too long of a period between the end of the regular season and when those things are given away. And I know the reasoning for it is you're trying to to live in the headlines as long as possible. I I understand that, but it's, it's, it's not what it is now is not the right answer. I know that. Am I smart enough to know what the answer is? No, no. And sometimes I don't know what the answer should be until I see it. And I feel like that's what this offseason at least gives us. Use this as, you know, use every sort of crisis as an opportunity to learn something and maybe take something positive away. And, hey, no one wants a, a CBA lockout and and players to be left in this limbo, weird territory. Nobody wants that. It would be just an it would be fine if it was just a normal offseason you were heading into. But unfortunately, it's not the case. But utilize it to be a positive in learning that. There is something to be gained by putting this deadline in place that makes baseball exciting for whatever day you want it to be, whether it's go through the the normal period of the the winter meetings. And maybe it's that last Friday. You know, you go through the winter meetings. You have that Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Usually everyone leaves by Thursday morning. You have the rule five. And then maybe it's that Friday. You know, everyone gets home, everyone gets settled and you've got to get everything done by Friday at whatever time. You know, I don't know yeah, what the what answer if you're is. But... Flying back on Southwest and you don't have Wi-Fi, <laughs> then you're you are in the Indians or Guardians front office now. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I think just, that's I think it's a good work. idea because teams often like I'm pretty sure the Guardians. I don't know. They used to close their offices for like the last I think the last two weeks of the calendar year. Yeah. So and that doesn't mean you can't make moves. I mean they finalized terms with Edwin Encarnacion two days before Christmas. But there's a reason they didn't officially announce it until after the new year. Um, so the, the office is closed for a lot of 2020 and still things got done. You got Zoom yeah, now, so, you got but ways I you think, can work from home. I think teams often are, I want to say quieter, but you know they're not as involved those last couple of weeks. Yeah. That's when a lot of front office people take their only vacation of the year. So I think... I think what you're suggesting could certainly work. I don't think you're missing out on much. Um, I just wonder then, okay, what is that? How can baseball be relevant in January and February prior to spring training? 
Yeah. <clears throat> but mean, maybe we, it doesn't have to be. I mean, the NFL doesn't really have anything in May or June. When do they have like rookie mini camps and yeah, they have that stuff. I think like, like OTAs in May, but yeah, I think it, that's all a bunch of bullshit, but ESPN still covers it. Like it's the most important thing. So I don't know well, that can lead us down a different path because ESPN pays a zillion dollars for, yeah, for NFL rights. They paid MLB too, but not nearly as much. So they're no, not th- as motivated th- to talk about it. I think, I think we're onto something though. And we're certainly not the first. We won't be the last. But I, I think there's something positive happening that hopefully they can pick up on and and utilize it to mm-hmm. their advantage somehow. They should, because yesterday yeah. was fun and it led to a number of of crazy moves. It led to us texting back and forth. I wish people could see our texts. I also I'm glad people cannot. But where do you want to start with? You had the Buxton extension. You have Semyon signing for seven years in Texas. John Gray joining and Avisayil Garcia, who I thought was maybe like a one, two, maybe three-year guy, getting a four-year contract in Miami, and Miami's not done. Kluber to the Rays. What is happening? It was so much fun. I thought players who were going to sign before the deadline here would, would have less leverage. I thought they'd sign for less because... You're just trying to get something done so that you can have peace of mind for a couple months and you know go to your holiday dinner and not have to be bombarded with questions about who are you going to sign with. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Everyone's getting paid pretty handsomely. Um, so that, that was one interesting thing I thought. I think, too, is just how does this all tie into Cleveland, right? What, how does this impact what the Guardians are going to do? Um, cause we're starting to see some outfielders come off the board and we're seeing some outfielders come off the board who seemed to be in that Cleveland range, right? I mean, I don't, Chris Bryant and Nick Castellanos aren't coming to Cleveland, but seven years is the reported ask for Castellanos. Yeah. That seems a little ridiculous, but seven years is his agent, Scott Boris. I don't know. Actually, I think it might be so, but guys like Garcia and Canna and, I don't think Starling Marte was ever coming to Cleveland, but just you're, you're removing some of that middle. Marte is more upper tier, but you know some of the names are starting to go, and I just wonder who's going to be left. I, I I have always thought that trade was the most likely way to address in the outfield. I also thought that they personally thought they need to add two outfielders, and one via trade, one via free agency would make a lot of sense, but. It just always felt like Mark Canna was going to be the, they would trade for a good outfielder and they'd sign Mark Canna and that'd be your off season. But that's obviously out the window now. So now you wonder, okay, well, Schwarber probably doesn't make, he probably makes a lot more sense elsewhere. He's probably going to get paid more than they want to spend. Chris Taylor, a similar thing. I think he's probably going to get paid more than they want to spend by someone. I don't think Eddie Rosario is coming back. Conforto is the guy that I've always said would be the best fit and make the most sense. Other than that, like there's not as much out there as there was a couple days ago. Yeah. And there's not as many teams perhaps interested or filling those, those voids too. So that's something to keep in mind. You know, I, (laughs) I said, Tommy Pham is an interesting name to keep an eye on. I know there's some rumors about what's happening there in San Diego. There's also the World Series MVP. I don't know if you saw that, but he's. But those guys can't be. That can't be your big move. That can't be your 
your one outfielder I know. you acquire. I know. And by the way, Scott Boris is Nick Castellanos' agent, so no surprise there. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, I mean, it's interesting because when let's, you know, the Mets go wild and they start signing all these, you know, you, you sign a, a, a couple of, of really good outfielders. I think the the easy thing to then wonder is who did they displace? Who now doesn't get to play for New York? And is there anyone there that's interesting? You did text me. Hey, maybe that's a, a place to keep an eye on because they have some surplus mm-hmm. there of players that they were ready to move on from, but perhaps could make good bounce back candidates or maybe even stronger than than that. But I think that's also something you have to keep in mind, too. You know, somebody signs somebody. So who are they moving on from or who could be had for uh, discounts? Probably too strong, but kind of a discount. Yeah. I mean, the trade market is going to be more interesting than free agency to me because there's a lot of names. I mean, we talked about yeah. the big three terms of outfielders but then you're think about all the guys who only have a year or two of control we talked about winker we've mentioned ian happ in the past mitch hanniger trey mancini there was a report that joey gallo has received interest yeah garrett cooper is an interesting guy i mean there are guys we've talked about too who have i think these guys are really interesting and this is maybe where i'd shift my attention if i were cleveland but the guys who have three plus years of control who maybe aren't on that upper tier, like Max Kepler, Austin Meadows, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and then the Mets. Uh, you, they just signed three position players. They're clearly not done spending money if they're offering Max Scherzer the sun and the moon. Um, so where does that leave Brandon Nimmo? Where does that leave Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis? Those last three guys all have three years of control. They're also coming off a down season, but have good track records. So, and because of the surplus the Mets have, I mean, I, you're not going to fleece them and get them for nothing, but you're probably able to get them for less than what you would have had to give up a year ago. So, yeah, I think there's, I, I again, I, I want to stress, I think this offseason, especially in the context of, Building back up, thinking you have a contender, knowing you have a really good foundation on the pitching side, having no excuse not to spend some money, trying to market a new team name and sell merchandise. I cannot stress that enough, how important it is to have an offseason that excites people, that moves the needle a little bit. Um, I think they need multiple additions. I think they should sign a free agent. That is a legitimate player. Conforto just makes too much sense. But I think the trade market is really where you could see some activity because all the names we just mentioned, and there are more, there are some center fielders out there like Ramon Laureano, who probably doesn't make sense in Cleveland, but it's just another outfielder teams will be after. Um, There's just a lot out there and there's a lot they can get done. And the way their roster is set up with so many prospects and inexperienced guys on the 40-man roster, that's a lot of trade ammunition. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned two that are with New York that are that haven't been on the radar because you're thinking infielders here, but Davis and McNeil are both like... I think in Cleveland's position, we get we really caught up in, you need a corner outfielder because, uh, hello, they need two of them. I'm also interested in just who do I think is going to be a good hitter? <laughs> and so 
you know, I'm, I'm not always going to limit myself just to corner outfield. If I think someone could be available that I might believe in having a, a chance of upgrading this offense. And I think in Cleveland's position, they can think about flexibility and, you know, where guys could play outside of just you know, plugging them in one spot or just thinking corner outfield. And we've seen that they want to have versatility on the infield. And I'm sure in the outfield too, I'm not saying either one of those guys are strong trade candidates, but there are names there that should be on the radar. And as we were talking about with New York, when they signed Marte, when they signed Canna, like, okay, well, let's take a look at the depth chart and see who now isn't going to be getting every day at bats. Those are two names that I would at least be inquiring about. I'm just curious what their plans are there. But I mean, it does lead me to to wonder after seeing all the activity yesterday, what what's Conforto going to get, and is that even realistic to continue to think about? And for most of the offseason, I've thought no, and I'm still wondering, you know, what does he want? Is it going to be close to that five year guarantee that we were pondering about before? Anything you saw yesterday that leads you to believe that it could be different? Could it be more, or is the uncertainty of what happened last year weighing on this some. Yeah, I I don't know what his market is is shaping up to be. We've heard like nothing about him whatsoever, so that's a little mm-hmm. bit of of curiosity on my point on my part. But as I'm looking at this too, I'm with you. I I think the free agent that you are going to get most realistically for Cleveland is going to be someone that's shorter tier or shorter term sort of the lower tier, not too much money, but still a solid player. And if you're looking for a truly impact guy, it's going to come via trade. That's that's always felt like the most realistic outcome for if they're going to truly make any sort of splash this offseason, that's the route it's going to have to go. I agree. I, I just, who is that? Who's that secondary piece? Who's the free agent? And if you're increasing payroll, well, you're going to have to sign someone who makes a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely are. Because I don't, I don't know what else you're going to add. Uh, there, there doesn't, there's not really another move to be made here. See, um, that's, that's the benefit of trading for one of the, the, the controllable young outfielders is then that, that person's not going to make a lot of money. And so you still have right. the flexibility to go out and sign somebody that should be a very solid player. Exactly. That's why I've always just thought that if they mean what they say, and if your plan is to increase payroll from fifty million to fifty-four million, I don't think you're gonna parade around saying, "Hey, payroll's going up next year." <laughs> That's why I've always figured, okay, it's got to be at least seventy, which is still embarrassing, but. I don't know how you get there unless you sign someone like Conforto or Schwarber or just someone in that realm. You know, if you go give out another, like, cause these guys aren't even Eddie Rosario level. I don't think Tommy Pham is getting one year, 8 million. Is he? Solaire might. Yeah. I think Solaire's going to get a multi-year deal now, but I don't know that he fits. And I just think there's, there's a lot out there of the guys who, just don't move the needle at all. Like I like sure you could go get Jock Peterson, but we've seen he's a platoon bat. I, I, that that doesn't. I mean that's fine. Who's he platooning with? You don't have Jordan Luplo. You don't have Ryan Rayburn. Brandon Geyer's not walking through that door to get hit by a pitch. 
Um, so I, I, I don't know. Crickets. I mean, I, again, like there are guys here. <laughs> there are options like you have Naylor, but you don't. Can you bank on him? You don't exactly know what that's going to look like once he gets fully healthy. You have Nolan Jones, same question. It's just a lot of unknown. I think if I'm running the team, I'd rather have those guys force the issue and yes. nudge their way onto the roster and proving they deserve some playing time. And I, I just I would be so sick of the Carlos Gonzalez and Domingo Santana and that mold of let's sign the veteran like Tommy Pham or Andrew McCutcheon or whoever I, else is I, still out there. I think Pham is better than that territory i mean you're talking about guys that got minor league contracts maybe with an invite to spring training all right so eddie rosario and you just let them play out the string for two three months and then cut ties and go with your younger in-house option i mean i'd rather see steven kwan and richie palacios play oh yeah i I just yeah yeah for sure yeah but so that's why i think like there's there's no reason not to at least be in the running for these these decent free agent outfielders like why make an argument against them signing Michael Conforto? Okay. Um, shit. I can't. Yeah. I mean, it's what's the worst that could happen. Somehow he just, he fell off a cliff at the age of 28 and his production never recovers. What is he okay, doing by cliffs? You're not paying anybody else. And his track record that suggests that he's going to be good. No playing around cliffs. Conforto. <laughs> God, what were you doing? His track record suggests that he's going to be really good. He's still young. I mean, it, it's just it something like that. I, I don't, and you're not paying anybody else. I mean, if you are going to increase the payroll because you're going to give out extensions to Bieber and Reyes and Ramirez, sure, I think you can get everybody on board with that. And then if your outfield moves are trading for Austin Meadows and signing Tommy Pham, sure. I think most of the fan base would approve of that offseason. But I don't think that's happening. And also, if you do hand out in-house extensions like that, they rarely, they, they, they it's they're always backloaded, right? I mean, you're not paying that player an exorbitant amount of money in 2022. So I, I just, I, I am very skeptical that they're going to make some huge free agent addition. And sometimes it's tough for me to separate like, what I love playing GM. We all love playing the armchair manager or general manager. And I just, I put myself in that position. And I'm like, obviously you have to also play armchair owner here, but yep. I just I, try and try to talk me out of signing a decent free agent outfielder. I, it's, it's hard to do. And also, again, I keep coming back to this. If you sign someone and you know, if you sign Conforto, everyone is going to praise that, that move. And you have a middle-of-the-order hitter who is young, who you know is going to be here for however long the contract is. Hello, can you hear the ching-ching of the, the merchandise sales on the cash register? Like, I just, you're, you're going to make money that way anyway. And it just, it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have all these fans in my mentions in my email and asking, like, are they ever going to make a move? Like, all these teams are making moves and... And they're, are they even awake? And it's like, you know them. They're patient. They're going to wait. Yeah. They're going to let the market play itself out a little bit. But at some point, when you have stripped this all the way down, 
You have done that to put yourself in a position to be aggressive, to now build it back up. You made all those trades for years to put yourself in a position to have an aggressive offseason. And it just so happens that it, the timeline worked out so that you're having this opportunity to build back up at a time when you need to sell merchandise and galvanize the fan base and get people excited and get them to stop talking about the name change and the the lease and the sign falling off the team shop. Like you finally have a chance to to create your own positive PR. So we'll see if they do it. You know, you mentioned the cash register. Do young people even like what is a cash register? This is this goes back to <laughs> if you ask a young person, you remember you make the the telephone like if you're you hold your hand to your face like you're making the telephone gesture, right? Now how are you doing it right now? Tell me how you're doing it. I'm wait what? Okay, so you're going to make a like you you can't talk, but you're telling me the telephone's for me. Like what what gesture are you making? Like the pinky and thumb extended right exactly like up to my okay now ask someone who's like 15 or younger like to show the gesture for what a phone someone being on the phone is that's a good point you know what they do they just hold their hand flat to their face or like wrap it around an invisible phone an invisible cell phone's coming back (laughs) i have no idea i saw a commercial for a flip phone the other day (laughs) yeah stop trying to make fetch happen again yeah it's so people young people wouldn't make that same gesture because they've never held one of those handheld or one of those home phones that we used to have to call our friends on and unfortunately talk to their parents first or whatever. It was really uncomfortable. Don't you miss when they had the cords and you tried to stretch it as much as you could. And then the base that the phone sits on would fall (laughs) off the table. And I was always so jealous of the people in the movies that had those phones that you could like grab from underneath and carry around with you. It's like, that looks awesome. Mine's attached to the wall. I can't do that. Do you remember when car phones were like the size of <laughs> the front seat? I'll do you better. How about, do you remember when you had to take the antenna off the top of your car to go in the car wash? You, know, you got to put the antenna away. got to put that down. It could get damaged while you're going through the car wash. Anyways, this was just a giant tangent because you mentioned Ching Ching, which was what a commercial how long ago? Like 25 years ago about... <laughs> people paying money to a cash register who pays with cash anymore now it's just like hold your card up to the scanner beep so that's the new charging money sound so just be prepared for that i don't remember where i was going with any of this but it just it just shot know. off just, the right there they should sign conforto oh hey yes yeah, but, but here you know i've i've seen some speculate or maybe even report what the the number of of, of what the salary is going to increase and again, i've seen like, ah, oh, $15 million is kind of what you should keep in your head. Okay. But I've always, I've always been hesitant to put an exact number on that because I don't think the front office mm-hmm. exactly looks at it that way. Like, here's our cap and we can't go beyond that because they go in, went into the 2017 offseason probably not thinking they were going to sign Edwin Encarnacion and they were probably not thinking they were going to hand out you know, a, a deal that was going to be approaching $20 million. But uh, the market pushed them that way. Then they capitalized and and got that done. So I don't think... You can just slap a a number on it and say, well, it's only going to go up this much. And if you do that, it, let, let's say it is like $15 million. I want to spend more than $15 million on a player here. That's pretty much most of what we can go up in a one particular offseason. Okay, if that's the case, then why isn't 17 okay? Right. Why isn't 18 okay? Like, what's the difference to me between 15 and $20 million for a player? And if that's 
the difference between you getting a Conforto and you not getting a Conforto, then what a freaking failure that is. If you're if you're that caught up in, uh, I know it's easy for me to say a few million dollars, but a few million dollars, you're letting that get caught up on, on and, and trip you up on not getting a player that could help you right now in a, a team that could absolutely use that sort of player. What a tremendous failure that would be. And I don't get it. And the, we don't know where this team is going to be at in a few years as far as who's going to own it and when it's going to happen. It does seem like it is trending that way that eventually the Dolans won't own this thing. They're not going to make that money back up in the sale. Right. And it's not <laughs> going to be your problem if it I mean, fails. It was an entire investment anyway that you're going to get back finally. I mean, I understand you know, something is worth something right now. It doesn't mean you have that money on hand. I get how that works. But eventually you will sell the team and it does appear to be something that is going to happen within the next I don't know, four or five years, it could potentially happen. So why are you getting caught up in four or five million dollars? That doesn't make any sense to me. All right. This team hasn't had like a salary albatross in in, in six years, seven going on seven since the Swisher and Bourne thing. And I know that's going to that's going to spook the front, not the front office, but it's going to spook ownership for the rest of time. But that's unheard of. Every single team has money assigned to players who aren't contributing anything. That's not to say that that's, I'm not like saying you want that. (laughs) You're not, you're not making a great case here, man. But I think you have to take a risk once every decade. Um, And again, it's just the right time to do that. And they're desperately trying to get a minority partner on board. um, And, that's like ownership's top priority at the moment, I think, once the lease is finalized. But yeah, you just laid out all the points. I mean, I, and I'm not saying it has to be Conforto, and I'm not saying he's some savior, and I'm not saying you spend money just to spend money, but it's just having the flexibility to make the moves that you've set yourself up to make. Yep. You, you can't, if you're going to continuously handcuff your front office, why the hell do you own a team that no one is forcing you to own? I mean, I, I think this team could be good in 2022. I don't even think it takes a ton to get them to that level. And I'm thinking good, like competing, like you're getting into the 86, 87 win range initially to begin a season. And you're mapping out what the future could look like with a lot of young players. The time is now for the, all the reasons that you've laid out for the past several weeks and the reasons that are so very obvious today. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it's a shame that we have to be speaking to this level about a free agent like Michael Conforto. Like, oh, man, Michael Conforto. Oh, go get that guy. I think Michael Conforto is a really good player. It should not be to the level that we're just we're screaming at the top of our lungs to go spend money for that guy because he's not at the top tier of the free agent market. You know what I'm saying? It's a shame that, that anyone would have to plead and beg and lay out these gigantic Mm -hmm. large cases as to why you would want to spend money on a secondary tier free agent. And it's not to put down Michael Conforto. I think he's a really good player, but I would be expecting to have these sorts of conversations when you're talking about Seager and Correa and Javi Baez, not Michael Conforto. That doesn't make any sense. Screaming about the same thing because their owner might not want to spend $350 million on a shortstop while we're talking about $60 million on a 28-year-old outfielder. Right, that's my point. 
All right, well, let's we'll continue this, of course. Let's wrap up really quick by just doing some rapid fire stuff. That Buxton extension was fascinating to me. Um, and I think I think that's a good deal for the twins. You're basically it's like fifteen million dollar base outside of this year, right? And everything mm-hmm. escalates based on you know how much he plays and MVP finishes. An owner and a front office should absolutely be willing to take the $15 million gamble that you're going to get the one out of this world, one of the best seasons of all time type campaigns from Buxton. I would take that $15 million gamble every year because if he does stay on the field, he is that serious. He is that good of a player. And I don't think $15 mm-hmm. million to take that gamble per season is that outrageous. No, and not after the discussion we just had, right? <laughs> It's, and the Twins aren't some, I mean, they don't spend money, they certainly spend more than Cleveland does, but it's not, like $15 million is a an important part of their payroll. So there is some risk on their side, but you're right, the, the benefits could be fantastic if he's able to stay healthy. And it's it's a difficult thing to project because, like, remember, he came back from an injury last season and then, like, immediately got hit by a pitch on the hand and broke his hand. and was out again like that's not that's not his fault it's not something you can predict um so who knows if that'll be worthwhile i thought the mvp finish bonuses were really interesting that's always a little weird to me just because i don't know is he gonna be super super nice to the media so that (laughs) people vote him higher on their ballots journalistically voting for the mvp and all these awards probably not the best thing in the world but i don't have any better solution for that i mean aren't you just banking that if he's worth more than two wins every season for part of that deal i mean it was worth that gamble and then he if he's going to be better he's going to go out and earn it then you're more than happy to pay him that money because he played like an mvp that particular season i just think that was yeah an interesting i do contract. wonder what i mean what does a 34 year old byron buxton's injury sure. list look like um but that, yeah, seven for a hundred. There's, that's a risk worth taking. That should not, again, that shouldn't cripple a team. That should not hamstring you if he's not as productive as you were hoping for. Yeah, it's 2021. I mean, I, I don't know. Random relievers are having a good year and then signing like three-year, twenty-four million dollar deals. So it's you have to get with the times. Does this signal to you that the twins are going to stay relevant? <laughs> I, have, I, I think I'm even more confused than I was before because <laughs> they still have so many pitching needs. They still have a couple holes in the, in the lineup. They have a lot of needs and I just don't know. I guess signing him for seven years makes sense because even if you aren't planning to, to get back into it in 2022, He'll still be there in 2023, 2024 when it might make more sense. I just, there, there's a lot of repairing to do. And I don't think you can do all of that in one off season. Maybe do they, do they need to move Donaldson and attach something to him to clear that money so that they can go do something else. But like, even if like, if they signed Robbie Ray, that's great. But they're that that's, they still have a lot more that they need on the pitching staff. Yeah. There are more holes to fill. So I, I'm not sure that that team is an enigma to me. I, I don't know. I can't even play armchair GM with them. No. 
I don't know what makes sense. No. Yeah, I don't know what direction they're headed either. Uh, I, I would think initially that signals that they aren't going to be doing some full rebuild in, in the near future. But you're right. I, they have a lot of work to do if they're going to get back to relevancy in this division where a number of other teams are going to be very interesting. So I, I don't I don't know. Uh was uh, really kind of surprised that Abasayo Garcia got four years. I thought maybe two plus an option for someone like that. And, and at that level, would have made sense in Cleveland? I have four years, good on him for going to Miami and getting that. And it seems like they're pretty active in trying to get some other position players. I know there's been rumors of Chris Taylor perhaps there, uh, several other hitters, Eddie Rosario, I think someone had tied to Miami, perhaps some interest there. So that was a little bit shocking. And how about the the Kluber signing to the Rays? You said you may have quietly predicted it to yourself, but I love, I love that signing. That just feels like one that kind of flies under the radar right now, but Rays are in the playoffs and Corey Kluber's giving them five solid innings. Veteran, the veteran arm that they bring in, like that gunslinger they do every year. Yeah, I said he's their Charlie Morton. It's that's a good signing, and and you just know he's going to be effective there, right? And he gets to play with Wander Franco. And anything else really surprise you? How about the Jays? They're going to be good. I know they lost Semyon. Probably not going to keep Robbie Ray, but the thing that's interesting with them is they have prospect depth that they can still trade. Like they've got two well-regarded young catchers. They can move one of them for another pitcher. They've got some position players that the timeline might not fit. You can move a couple of them kind of like they did last year with to get Jose Barrios. They're going to be a force. That lineup is relentless. There are some matches. I mean, I, I still think they need pitching. I do wonder if, there's a conversation to be had there with Cleveland. Um, but I'm sure the Blue Jays are just going to want to ask for Jose Ramirez first and foremost, and that's it. So, yeah, the Blue Jays are interesting. That that division, the Rays will always be there, it seems like. The Yankees and Red Sox are the Yankees and Red Sox. But, like, would you say the Blue Jays should, they might wind up being the favorites to win that division next season? I don't know if I would go as far as to say the favorites, but, like, if you're looking for the non-obvious team to place money on to go win the World Series, I think it's the Blue Jays, is it not? Um, I'd have to see the odds. <laughs> like, like you don't know what odds are. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the Angels just consolidating all their roster spots by signing Michael Lorenzen. <laughs> all of the two-way players. Um, so that was somewhat interesting. And then uh, your perfect offseason, trying to bring that together. Jacob Stallings. Drawing some trade interests, according to John Heyman, Pirates catcher. Just make it a, you could kill two birds with one stone, Stallings and Reynolds. I think they need, I mean, they definitely need a catcher. I'm curious to see what they do here with the non-tender deadline moving up. You know, Hedges is arbitration eligible. You got to do something. You need a catcher beyond 2022 as well. I don't know when exactly Bo Naylor is going to be ready. And sure, maybe Lavastida enters the equation here over the next year, but you need two catchers, right? So, yeah, I don't know if maybe Hedges is, can you give him, do you toss him a two-year deal? Or do you try to acquire someone who has more than one year of control? 
So you want to pay him two years to be the backup. Like that's how you're approaching him. I think he's just kind of, he's your case Keenum. He's your guy who plays. No, I think you would want hedges to play like 80 to a hundred games. Maybe. It's, it depends who that second catcher is. Like, I don't think you want him to play 80 to 100 games. I think you're prepared for him to play 80 to 100 games. I think that's the way you're approaching Yeah, it. I guess this, is, this all hinges on what their plan is. Do they plan to just sign someone cheap? I mean, there's like nothing out there. <laughs> like Jan It's Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez. That's it. So do you plan <laughs> to trade for someone legitimate or do you plan to trade for someone who is going to be the definitive backup to Hedges. Can we just pause for a moment? <laughs> the, the, the top of the free agent catching class is Jan Gomes and Riddle Perez, the two catchers that fans were screaming about in 2016 wanting to replace. <laughs> <laughs> and they tried to. They tried to go get Jonathan Lucroy. Remember we're having that, those conversations all season long about, oh, the catching, how terrible it is. They need to upgrade that position. And now I think if they brought back Jan Gomes, fans would be like, all right. He's a solid offensive catcher. Not the defensive presence he once was, probably behind the plate, but better an upgrade over what you had offensively. We're running out there. Well, they went day. out they went out in 2016 and got some help. Remember they brought back Chris Jimenez. That's right. That is right. And an average uh, phone call with Chris Jimenez lasts about as long as this podcast did. Is that is that true? <laughs> that is true. More in the athletic later this week. <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify, of course, will be back later this week. We won't be locked out of our Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast. Any parting words? No, I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about if and when this lockout does happen. So that should be fun. And also, if anybody has preferences or requests for a former Cleveland baseball game you want us to review, has to be one know. we can watch, though. Yeah. Send, send us a link to one on YouTube. Otherwise, we can't review a game if we can't watch it. Or if you taped one on your VHS. Oh, yes. That's even better. Love the old commercials. <laughs> Zach, I'm TJ. We're out of here. See you at Patreon later this week. Bye.